Hey everybody, how's it going? We're going to worship right now. It's okay. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful gift of life. You've given to us for a purpose, for a reason. To show your glory to the world and to worship you. Give us the strength and the perseverance to do your will in our lives for that is when we are the most fulfilled you are our provider you are our father and you are our God
rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the
Every 
coming after you Like a thirsty animal My heart is for your love Draw me out again I'm coming back from the dead I'm coming out of my
in the name of God. In the name of mercy. Guide our path, our way. Lead us straight, we pray. In the name of God. In the name of God. In the name of mercy. Guide our path, our way. Lead us straight, we pray. In the name of
guide our path our way lead us straight we pray in the name of Church, you all surviving the cold out there? It's pretty cold out today, but you know it's home, so it's good. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. You're catching us on week two of our uh, Lord's Prayer series. Um, today we are going to be starting our Father in heaven. Hallowed be there, be your name or thy name. If you want to go old school, King James on it. Um, I just want to confess something to you. Every single sermon I've done at this church thus far has been on 
an amazingly huge topic, whether it be the presence of God or the Ten Commandments completely overview or the love of God or the power of God or the fear of the Lord or, I mean, just literally, it's just like this complete overview. Last week, prayer in an overarching just picture and it's it's intimidating but i've never been more intimidated than i am today about eight words literally this is the first time where when i was looking at this outline i'm like i literally have eight words to preach and i'm so excited because it's going to be so much easier to get a grasp on what i'm going to say and i've never been more lost and more intimidated on these eight words which is uh good in a way because it means i've been diving into the word like crazy um and it's in me so we'll just hope that it comes out clearly. Amen. So with that confession in mind, uh, I want to pray and invite the uh, ushers to come forward. We're going to take the offering, but I just want to invite God to take control because this is not about a man on a stage. This is about God relaying a message to his people, and it's about his glory. And it's about his purpose and his will. So just... If you want to agree with me on this, Father, I just come to you right now, Lord, and just confess that, Lord, we desperately need your word today. Lord, this has nothing to do with our opinions. This has nothing to do with our take on the matter. Lord, we need your revelation. We need your truth. So I pray, God, that you would speak through me and despite my inabilities and despite my feeling of lack, God, I pray that you would be glorified for your name and for your glory. Lord, and then as we give our money this morning as a son of a worship, God, that you would just help us to be good stewards with what you have uh, given us and that we would use it for the furthering of your kingdom and, and for your purposes. God, that it would go farther than just this church, that it would branch out into our communities and even the world. Lord, and that you would be glorified in everything that we pour out our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today, if you guys want to open up to Matthew 6, we're going to get into it. The Lord's Prayer. Again, 53 words if you count the Greek. Reshaping the way we understand how to speak to God. Communicate with the Father. So I, I, I just figured to just get us all warmed up, why don't we just say this together, and let's try not to do it like drone mechanical way, okay? Put some life into it, but if you want to just say this with me, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And a lot of the uh, translations you'll see, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, which um, is really important, and we're actually going to be doing a sermon on that, so don't feel like I'm leaving that out. Um, but that statement was actually uh, a prayer that David prayed in the Old Testament. It was really added on... Um, just as a basis of his faith and his declaration of, of God as well. So today we're going to start at our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And just because I've already done one service doesn't mean I have an idea of where this one is going. So we're going to start from the top and see where we end. But 
These first two words are huge. Our Father. They're huge. Um, We can only come to God as Father because we've been adopted into His family. And we can only be adopted into the family of God because of the Son. In Galatians 4, it says this, When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as Son. And because we are sons, God has sent his spirit, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you no, are no longer slave, a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Literally, in two words, we're, we're into two words so far, we're called to remember the truth and to put our trust in the fact that God is our Father, which means that Jesus is a Redeemer. Our Father speaks of, it's the center of the Gospel, it's, it's the very makeup of what connects us with Him. The fact that we can call God, Father, shows us that we've been reconciled because it says in Ephesians 2 that we're all born children of wrath outside of the relationship with God and outside of redemption, that we are born into sin. There's been a divide because of the fall of man where we are now born as children of wrath and what has been established for us through the Son is this reconnection with the Father. And the beautiful thing, and I love this verse in Galatians, is because not only do we become sons, but we become heirs. That we become literally co-heirs with Christ to come to God. The kingdom of God. His righteousness. It's a humongous statement. So, um, this word is common. It's a common name we use in a lot of our prayers uh, today. Father, I have a friend of mine. You know in prayers we always say that one word to fill in the gaps. If you know what I'm talking about, where a lot of people will say Lord or they'll say and thank you just like 150 times. I have a friend who says Father like 70 times in like a 30 second prayer. It's just like, okay, we get it. I know who you're talking to. But it can almost become too regular that we just use it almost flippantly when we don't really understand that this word has huge implications in this statement of the Lord's Prayer. Huge. I keep pointing at the screen like it's there. Um, Nobody spoke to God this way at this time in the first century. Nobody. There's no example in the Old Testament where men spoke to God as their personal father. At one point, God does call Israel His son out of Egypt. So there is a sense that Israel is understood as the sons of God. And at one time, God is called the Father, the Father of Israel. Um, the father of a couple things. But the word father was never used in a direct form of personal relationship between man and God. God was El Shaddai, the Lord of power. He was Yahweh, a name that was so holy it wasn't spoken. Um, he was greatly almost removed. This, this one we couldn't even approach. This one that a priest would have to go into... Uh, the temple and sacrifice once a year for the sake of all the nation. And if he messed up when he was in there, they'd tie a rope around his ankle with bells so that if he, he was killed because he came to the presence of God unrighteously, uh, they could drag him out because they couldn't come and get him. So we, there's a huge thing, a huge shift that's happening in this statement, Our Father, 
that we have to grasp. To put it another way, and you'll see this if you look at the insert that I included, I included all the proper names of God through the Bible and every single verse that it's found. So this week, if you look at your outline, uh, and the name of God, as you're going to see, is the most important thing in all of creation, it's important that we start to understand who this God is and what His names are. But anyways, if you look at the last one, it says that Father was the last name that He was given in the New Testament, proper name. And in the Old Testament, in 929 chapters, okay? It's a lot of chapters in the Old Testament. God is spoken of as Father 15 times. In the New Testament, which is 200 and 60 chapters, it's, he's spoken of as Father 245 times. See the shift? I mean, that's a humongous difference. 929 to 15, 246 to 260. 16 times as much, and it's all centered around Christ. In every prayer except one, through the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as a Father. And the only time he doesn't refer to him as a Father is when he's quoting Psalms at his death to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would be killed. One German theologian writes that the significance of this is that Jesus, as a rabbi and a Jew, was making a a, a departure from tradition, and not just a small departure. This was a radical departure. Jesus was literally flipping the religious world on end with this addressing God as Father. And it was not taken lightly at all. In fact, there's a moment in the Scriptures where Jewish leaders tried to kill Jesus because not only did He heal somebody on the Sabbath, which was against the law at the time, but even more so, He called God Father. He's like, you can't call God Father. So, that didn't deter Christ at all from doing so. Um, because He is the Son of God. And the only way we know the Father, as we're going to see, is through the Son. Um, and it's just amazing because now we have this, this God, this one that was unapproachable that Jesus says, when you speak to Him, when you pray to Him, you call Him Father. And it reminds me of what I said last week in Hebrews 4, where now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive grace and mercy in time of need. I mean, this is the relationship that was opened up for us. We're going to come back to this point, so just tuck that away for a bit. But... Um, we're going to move on for right now. So, our Father who is in heaven. Now, heaven have, has a couple different meanings of importance. Um, both of them I want to highlight today. The first one being, heaven speaks of authority. This is what it says in Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All of these things my hand has made. And so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. There is nothing that is made that I did not make. I have all authority. And notice the word heaven and throne are tied together. Heaven is a picture of God's throne, His authority. In the chapter before Matthew 6 where we're at in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is His footstool. Now, a couple years ago in Roots on Sunday, um, I opened up Isaiah. If you go to the Isaiah 40s, 
there's this amazing picture we get. And I just asked my students, I said, what is the overall theme in these passages? So I'm just going to read them to you and I want you to tell me, what is the overall theme in these passages? Because I think it speaks of this exact thing. This is what it says, Isaiah 43, I am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and I saved and I proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you were my witnesses, declared the Lord, that I am God, also henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back? Isaiah 43. Isaiah 44, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let Him proclaim and declare it. Is there any God besides me? Is there any other rock? I know not one. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. And if you go down just a little bit further in that same chapter, there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and Savior, there is none except for me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. This is the first thing that we need to come to when we say, Our Father who art in heaven, Heaven speaks of His authority, His reign, the fact that He's sovereign, the fact that He's the uncreated. He is the I Am. He's above all. And let me tell you something, church. If this is not true, we're wasting our breath in prayer. We need to get here. That when we're praying to God, we're not coming to Him like these scared little children trying to appease Him into doing something. We're coming to Him confident that He's in control of all things. That's what heaven means. God is the creator of all things. He's like when we were singing earlier. He's the rock of ages. That rock of ages, that term comes from Deuteronomy. And it speaks of His stable, unchanging nature and His unmatchable strength. That is our God. But heaven also speaks of something else. And with that authority in mind, this is so beautiful to see. Because... Sometimes when we think of heaven, we think of it as this distant place. We almost pray, Our Father, who art galaxies and galaxies distant away from us in another place. But this term to a first century Jew denoted more than just a distant place. In fact, God is not confined to place. You get that? See, in our culture, when we hear heaven, we think of what is above us. And God is above us. Authority reign, sovereignty. He is absolutely and 100% above us. But when we think of this, we think of heaven above us, of the stars, of the northern lights. But to a first century Jew, they would have understood this word normally, completely rationally, as meaning beneath us, around us, and everything that surrounds. Everything. That is heaven. In fact, you can uh, intertranslate the word air and heaven together, which means our Father who art in heaven, we're speaking to the one who, when we breathe in a breath of air, He's the one who fills our lungs. When we pray to Father, we're speaking to the one uh, who does sovereignly sit above us, but He is closer to us than our heartbeat. This God. He he is, as Jesus said earlier, and we talked about this last week, He is the God who lives in the secret place. This Father is as close to us as anything in existence. And in Psalms 34, it says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and He saves those crushed in spirit. 
And David says in Psalms 139, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. There is no area in your life from your darkest moments to your greatest joys that God is not present. And that reality needs to become our reality. That we do not serve a God who's far off. We serve a God who's in the very breath we breathe. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, I love this quote. I put it in your outline. She says, All the earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. The holiness of God. The presence of God. Um... Heaven speaks of the magnitude of His presence. So this reality we come to when we pray uh, is found in these two small words, our Father, and then you add in heaven. And we can summate it like this just to make it a little bit clear for us of what we're actually saying at that. We're saying, our Father, our Father who has called us into adoption through the blood of Christ, the one who sits on the throne of heaven, who has all authority and power over all things, and whose presence overflows into all the spaces of the universe, and yet is, is as close as the air I breathe. To you we pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, if there's one phrase that br- brings the most confusion in this prayer, I think it's this phrase. Uh, it's almost lost in translation. What the heck is a hallowed? You know, it's just like, I'm, I, I don't remember the last time I ever went to a dinner... Or even heard someone preach where they're like, man, I don't even know how to put it into a sentence. It's just hallowed. It's its own thing. It's, it's stuck in the Lord's Prayer. Somebody told me after the service today, it's in the Gettysburg Address. I'm like, that's good. Um, <laughs> okay, so you have the Lord's Prayer and Gettysburg Address. It's like, anyways. But what are we to do with an abstract word like this? This isn't how we speak. Not in this day, not in this culture. So we're going to have to do some digging to get to the root of what Jesus is teaching us here. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question based off of what we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, maybe you start coming to church. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Totally a joke. Uh, Is this a statement of praise or is this a command? Now, remember last week... We learn that the whole entire prayer is framed in an imperative mood, meaning every single verb in this thing is shaped in the imperative. To be, be, to do. I mean, all of this. Give. It's framed in an imperative. And that's crazy because Jesus is the one that gave that to us. And if you look at ancient times, no one ever spoke to an authoritative in to a person in authority in an imperative tone ever. In fact, I was looking at some secular writings this week and I found some people got stoned for using imperative verbs when speaking to a military uh, person that was over them in the first century. So what an imperative is, is it means a tone of command, a tone of authority. And Jesus is literally saying, when you come to the Father, you speak to Him in an imperative mood. Now, before anybody thinks I'm a blasphemer, just bear with me for a second. Because this is important. This is not a statement of praise. 
Now, is it wrong to praise the name of the Lord? No, that's why we've been given breath. In Isaiah 43, it says the reason we've been given breath is to glorify the Father, to glorify the Lord for the glory of His name. But this isn't what we're getting at here. And if that's all you're getting at this, you're missing something incredibly important because this phrase is the beginning of prayer. Jesus said, so when you pray, you pray this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So there's something here that we needs to be, it needs to be the foundation and complete focus of us in our prayers. So let me explain to you what this is because this is not uh, a petition of praise. This is a command. That's how it's formed. It's not hallowed is your name. We're not telling God how awesome He is. That is not wrong at all. So don't hear me say that. It's hallowed be your name. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've spent hours this week trying to dive into an easy way to describe that word hallowed. Because I was like, I don't completely get it, God. You've got to reveal it to me. So this is about like 150 hours of work this week in two little verses. Not 150 hours, more like 70. Um, <clears throat> this word hallowed literally means holy phi. Holy dash phi. The same word hallowed is the same word sanctify. And sanctify means to make holy. So literally we're saying, our Father who art in heaven, make yourself holy. But that doesn't make sense because God obviously is holy. So we're not telling God to be made holy. Jesus is not telling us to command God to be holy. That wouldn't make any sense. He's telling us to command God to be revealed as holy. To cause Himself to be honored. So... Um, I think I even put this in your outline because it's an incredibly important point. See, where hallow is your name speaks of the greatness of God. Hallow be your name speaks of that greatness being revealed. Let me say that again. Where hallowed is your name speaks of the greatness of God. Hallowed be your name speaks of that greatness revealed. So this prayer is not formed in this model. It is not coming... Into prayer like this, God, I thank you for how awesome you are, Lord. You are the God over everything. So I pray that, that you would do this in my life. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, he's saying something incredibly, uh, uh, that takes an incredibly larger amount of faith. This is what he's saying to pray. He's saying, Father, understanding your character and your glorious nature, and understand that you are in control of all things, I pray that no matter what happens in this situation in my life, that Lord, that you would be glorified. Do you see the difference? Huge difference. The prayer is not about you. Prayer is not man-centered. Prayer is God-centered. Okay? That's a really good thing to clap about. But we need to grasp that because we're not supposed to come to God like this. God, I just thank you that you're awesome so you're going to come through in this situation. It's saying this, God, no matter what happens in this situation, I pray that you're revealed in my actions, in my faith, in my trust, in the realities of who you are as glorious. My attitude, my submissiveness, my joy would be found in your holiness revealed through my life. And not only my life, but in this earth. Lord, be revealed as great. Now let me tell you why that's not an oxymoron to command God to do that. Because if there's one thing in existence the Lord cares about, it's His name. 
Okay, so we're not telling God to do something. We're telling God to be who He is. You, Jesus is literally saying, you need to understand with this amount of faith that when you need to understand who you're talking to. The reality is that God is God. So the fact that I'm telling you to command Him to be is literally saying this, Lord, take everything that I am, I submit it all to you, and your glory be done. Because this is who you are. This is who you are. Okay? And what is this framed around? See, the greatness rests in His name. In in the biblical world, names were more than mere labels. Not only did they describe a person, they even sometimes shaped the realities of a person. A name often stood for the personal and incommunicable characters of a person. It was common that men and women had their name changed in the Bible. God did it all the time. Abram, exalted father, is what that means. He changed it to Abraham, the father of many nations. He shaped his character. He changed who he was. Sarai was changed to Sarah. Jacob, which means heel catcher or deceiver, becomes Israel, which means God's fighter or God will prevail. Name change. Boom. New Testament, Jesus changed Simon's name, which means one who hears to Cephas, or Peter, which means the rock. In each case, the name change reflected the work of God in the individual's life. As name, God made a promise or changed the nature of the person, He sometimes applied a new name. A name referred to one's personhood, character, reputation, and authority. No wonder the proverb says this. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name is the most important thing, is what it's saying. They didn't have background checks, credit checks. They didn't even have last names. It's all you had. So a good name was everything. So what about God's name? See, in the beginning, he revealed himself as El Shaddai, which means God of power. And then in Exodus 3, he meets Moses at a bush. And I love this because Moses is freaking out. He's trying to figure out who this God is. He, he wants to know his character. He wants to know his identity. And I think he's trying to act in sort of like a back uh, doorway to ask a question because he's he's, he doesn't want to just come out and say it. But this is what he says in Exodus 3. He says, Then Moses said to God, if people, if if I come to the people of Israel and they say to me, the God your fathers has sent you, and they ask me what is his name, what should I tell them? I'm not going to ask you what it is, but if they ask me, what should I tell them? And God says this, I am who I am. And he said, this is, say this to the people of Israel, I am sent you. That's who sent you. A name, oh man, God is not shaped by a name. And in fact, a name can't, uh, it can't completely reveal his character at all. If we look at the proper name of God, it's Yahweh, which means the existing one. Not very descriptive. But that's not to say that God hasn't gone out of his way to reveal his character, his nature, his personhood to us. 
If you count up just the proper names of God in the Old Testament, there's 18 describing who He is, each one touching on a different facet of His being, His character. See, the Bible is a progressive revelation of God that He would be revealed in the time that He sees fit, in the characters that He sees fit. So when we read it, we read God and it builds on itself. El Shaddai, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, all the way through. And in your outline this week, uh, you have every single name, proper name of God, in every verse in the Bible that they're said. So if you want to know when it says, hallowed be your name, we should probably know the name of God that we're supposed to be praying into being. Amen? So spend some time this week when you get home to it. We're not going to have time to get into it, but the name of God is the most important thing ever. In fact, in Exodus 34... Uh, it says that do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealousy is a jealous God. God values his name, his character, his personality above everything. Ezekiel 39 says, and I, w- I will be zealous for my holy name. God always speaks and acts in a, in a way that honors his name. How many times do we hear the phrase in the Bible, for my name's sake? And what it shows us is that everything that God moves, every time that He acts, more than anything else is for the glorification and the revelation of His name and His character. 1 Samuel 12, For the sake of His great name, the Lord will not reject His people, but the Lord was pleased to make Himself known. Psalms 23, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. He has revealed Himself as the restorer and the giver and will always act consistently with that revelation. Psalms 25, For the sake of Your name, God, forgive my iniquities, though it's great. And the psalmist writes, Since You are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of Your name, lead me and guide me. Psalms 79, Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of Your name. The glory of Your name. Remember, that's the prayer. Hallowed be Your name. Deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. The prophet Jeremiah even cries out to God on the basis of his name. Although our sins testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your great and holy name. You are among us, Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us, is what he was saying. Through all time, the reason God moves is for the sake of his name. Again, Isaiah 43, you were made for the glory of God. What is glory? It's a revelation of His character. It's a picture of His name. In the book of Ezekiel, we encounter one of the most revealing texts of Scripture. God speaking to the captives, captive Jews in Babylon. Tells His people that He's ready to save them. And not because they deserve it. Listen to this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It's not because of your, your sake house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. And I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Through the Word, God reveals characters of who he is through his name for the glorification of his being Moses' character is unapproachable there's definitely a distinction between understanding god 
as Yahweh and then going into the New Testament and understanding Him as Jesus says as Father. Which is amazing that this is where Jesus lands. This is the last proper name we receive in the Bible of God. Jesus says, you call Him Father. What an amazing thing. That that connection from Eden that was severed, that relationship is tied back. Now, I've done a lot of prayer this week, and I could have gone a thousand different ways with the sermon, but the one thing I really felt like God was stressing in my heart is this. When we say, Father, hallowed be your name, how many of us come to that with baggage? I mean, this is, the, this is literally the fullest revelation of God's character to man given in a name. But how many of us have seen our earthly fathers fail us? I have an amazing father. But I've seen it done. I've seen it too many times in my life where people over and over and over have been abandoned, have been abused, have been hurt by this person that's supposed to be an an example of God. So how in the world can we relate to God as Father? This is Yahweh, the one that's a pillar of fire and smoke that sits on a throne of heaven and that when He came down to earth, He shook the mountains and now Jesus says, now come to Him as Father. It's like, I would have been easier to go to Him as a mountain shaker. So this is what I wanted to stress today because this is one of the most beautiful pictures that... that God just really put on my heart this week is that God is not made in the image of your dad. We cannot come to know Him by broadcasting our views of who we think He is based on the broken examples we see in our lives. That is the enemy's greatest desire that he would destroy the basis of the revelation of God. That he would take that name Father and he would corrupt it. So how in the world do we come to this name and understand the beauty of what it is. We know of adoption because the Father calls us, right? We're adopted through the Son, the blood of the Son. The Son reveals the Father. If you have issues today because you've seen people fail in your life when it comes to spiritual or physical fathers, I want to just show you a beautiful picture because... Though this is the last name we receive that's proper, this is not the fullest revelation of that name. The fullest revelation of that name is Jesus. Look at this. Jesus is the complete revelation of the Father. This is number two in your outline. I flipped the first two, so on the second page. Jesus said to him in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes... To the Father except through me. If, I, if you had known me, you would have known the Father. From now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. The greatest revelation of the Father is found at the cross. It's found in the Son. Okay, so it's not just the complete revelation. Literally, not only does all existence live to glorify the name of God, and that would be our prayer that He would be revealed as holy, That's the very reason Jesus came to earth. 
John 12, 27, Jesus lives for the glorification of this Father. This is Him crying out to God right before His death. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose I have come. Father, glorify Your name. Then I heard a voice come from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Jesus lives for the glorification of the Father. He's a complete revelation, and He's the complete glorification of the Father. And when the Father says, I will glorify again, what He's pointing to on that is the cross. Because in John 17, we see that Jesus is the complete manifestation of the Father. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now, this is why this is so beautiful, church. Because God understood that we were going to have really bad examples of who he was. So instead of just saying, deal with it, just come to me. He said, I'm going to show you who I am. If you can't come to me as Father, come to the Son, and He's going to show who I am. The Father, God the Father is just as good, He's just as gentle, He's just as kind, He's just as approachable, He's just as welcoming, and He's just as generous as Jesus. Jesus' open arms are the arms of the Father. Jesus' open heart is the heart of the Father. It is a passion of Jesus to help us know His Father as He knows Him, to love His Father as He loves Him, to trust His Father as He trusts Him. We can find the Father because we know the Son. His goal is to correct our understanding of that word Father. To replace our misguided concepts associated with the word, with His. And to make this happen, He breathes His Holy Spirit into our hearts who enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. Maybe for the first time ever. In Jesus, the Father's name is finally and fully hallowed. This is the whole entire Lord's Prayer. The whole entire thing is Christ. Our Father in heaven, we only call Him Father because of the Son. Hallowed be Your name. The full revelation of His name is the Son. Your kingdom come. Jesus came and He established the kingdom of God. Your will be done. Look at... Look at Jesus as the example of the one who laid his life down so that God would be most glorified through the cross. Give us today our daily bread. In John, it says that Jesus is the bread of life. Forgive us our debts. We only find forgiveness through the blood. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert to show us what it looks like to trust in the words of the Lord to help us get through life. He's not mentioned, but he's completely through the whole entire thing. This prayer is the revelation of the new covenant. So with that in mind, I want to invite you guys to come up for communion. Communion is a sign as believers that, that we stand on the truth of God's Jesus' blood that was shed through us, shed for us, the new covenant He established, and His body that was broken for us. So just take this, and bring it back to your seat, um, and we're going to take it together. But I'm going to, start, I'm going to just talk for a little bit. See, when 
couple years ago, when I was doing abstinence presentations in the schools, I was in a class, and my prayer every single time I went to those schools was, God, be revealed through me. I can't obviously speak your name, I'm in public schools, but Lord, you can be revealed. And one day, at the end of class, I always give the students times to, to ask questions. They write them down on a piece of paper. But this day, a boy raised his hand and he, he asked me this, literally. Eric, why doesn't my dad love me? I was speechless. Because not only was I broken for him, but I knew who was drawing him into truth. For three days, he said, for three days you've told me that I have value, that I'm worth something. And I want you to tell me why my dad doesn't love me, because he's never told me that. And let me tell you, church, no matter where you are in your life, your father has maybe has failed you, your earthly father, but there is a perfect father in heaven who has revealed his love perfectly through the cross. As in... As we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us so that you would know the love and extent that He has to call you into who He is. And in that moment, my prayer for that kid was this. God, I know that His earthly father has failed Him, but I pray that He learns the revelation of who you are. And we only know the Father through the blood, through the Son, So as we come into communion, we come to it with the realization of what has been offered to us, what has been established for us, that no matter what the enemy has done to try to destroy that picture of a father in our lives, that it can be reestablished because of the blood of Christ. The focus of all prayer is God and His glory all prayer and in Jesus inviting us in in making this the first petition what he's doing is he's saying you don't have to settle for what you think you want you don't have to settle for what you think you need in fact you can be part of revelation you can be part of redemptive history that your prayer would be based in this as i have glorified the father through the cross so let him be glorified through you because of my blood that's our prayer lord be glorified god be god do what you alone can accomplish and we speak it with authority knowing that he will always fulfill who he is always for His name's sake and for His glory. This goes right in line with what Jesus said in Matthew 5. This hallowed be your name goes right in line with what He says. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they might see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. I died so that I could be put into you. The light of the world who came, the incarnation of God, now lives and abides in us. And He's calling us to make that the foundation of our prayers. Do you not know the greatest thing that can fulfill your life is to show my light to this dying world? 
So if you guys want to stand, this is communion. This is awesome. This is the gospel in motion right here. Every single person is a representation of the working and redemption of Christ's blood. We take this bread in remembrance of the body that was broken for us as a body of believers standing on the truth that because His body was broken, we can find life. This is the truth of Christianity. And we take this cup in in which He established the new covenant that God would be our God and we would be His people and He would forgive our sins and remember them no more. No longer would we need an intercessor or a mediator between men and God because now we speak to Him as Abba. We come to Him boldly with confidence. This is what has been established in this blood. As we sing this last song, I just want to invite anybody who has father issues, if you've been burned, if the enemy has destroyed that image, that picture, that revelation of God, I want to invite some of the prayer team to come forward and just um, maybe for the first time, you can put your trust in the fact that he's calling you come up and pray with one of us and just invite him to reveal himself as as father it's the greatest revelation of the gospel when it comes to our god and king amen and then after the song we need to clear the chairs but just wait till the song is done and uh yeah let's pray father i thank you for who you are i pray that as we get into your word this week that the revelations of your name would overflow us, Lord, and that you would teach us what it means to reveal your name and your glory in our lives. That it would be our greatest prayer and the foundation of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of God, In the name of mercy, guide our path, our way, we straight, we pray. In the name of God, in the name of In the name of mercy, guide our path away, lead us straight